Welcome, uh, good afternoon. Uh, lovely to see you registered. Unfortunately, I can't see your faces. Um, so uh, welcome to the uh, uh, opening of our uh, Hillary term series of the Israel Studies Seminar. Our speaker today is uh, Tal Shamur, who is an ISAF Foundation International Fellow in the Department of Social Anthropology at uh, Cambridge University. Um, Tal wrote his PhD in Cultural Anthropology in uh, the University of Haifa. His work focuses on questions of uh, belonging and identification within the urban sphere. His book, a Hebrew book titled Hope and Melancholy on an Urban Frontier, Ethnicity, Space and Gender in Hatikva Neighborhood, Tel Aviv, was uh, just recently published by uh, Haifa University Press. And his articles, English articles, were published in journals such as uh, Emotions, Space and Society, and Citizenship Studies. And the title of Tal's talk today is The Emergence of Melancholic Citizenship at the Urban Periphery, the Case of South Tel Aviv Protest Against Global Migration. Tal, thank you so much for coming. Lovely thank to have you. Okay. Thank you, Professor Yadgar, for this uh, lovely opportunity to present my research. I'm excited to, to share um, some of my findings based on my PhD um, dissertation. And uh, today I'm going to speak about the concept of melancholic citizenship, uh, basically presenting the um, the emotional sphere that is arising among the long-term residents of this specific neighborhood of South Tel Aviv when they encounter a process which uh, highlights their marginalization within the urban sphere and uh, the overall Israeli society as a whole. And um, and here you can see, you can see right in the beginning, you can see the protest of the long, long-term residents. And, and on the surface, you can see the rage, but in my mind, and what I will try to show in this presentation, I will also try to, to show the break of the tones and the sorrow that is hidden within this um, process, which they consider as a, a, a sign of their discrimination. So, okay, I'm gonna start. Uh, just a quick note about global cities. I know it's a bit weird to think about Tel Aviv as a global city, but uh, it is considered to be a, a, a global city uh, in the process of becoming. Uh, it's a very central city in Israel for, for those of you that are not familiar with the city, but it's quite known, I think, uh, worldwide. Uh, it is an economic center uh, and, um, and also a social center in Israel. Um, and um, the thing about global cities where you, you, you can recognize cities that are very central in the local arena, but they also play a, a role uh, in the global economy and, uh, uh, and, and in the uh, global uh, network and media. Uh, but, but interestingly, although those uh, uh, cities are very central, uh, you can recognize also poverty and um, you know many circuits of migration uh, and uh, disadvantaged group that are located at the margins of the city. So on, on the whole, you can you can speak about very central places, uh, globally connected, but uh, and also nationally, of course. But at the same time, you can you can see at the margins. Uh, uh, social processes of discrimination, of poverty, uh, and uh, disadvantaged people that are crowded together, basically giving sources to the people living in the center of uh, those uh, cities. 
So of course, when you you can think about New York, London, Tokyo, they immediately you know come to mind when you think about global cities, but also places like Berlin and Tel Aviv, they encounter these processes. Um, both the central, bo they both play like central place in the national scope and in the global one, but they also a source of a, a poverty and disadvantaged group that are located at the margins of uh, these uh, cities. So what we see in the urban periphery or what is the urban periphery condition when we think about global cities? Uh, you can see, you can uh, identify the ethno-class segregation. I mean, certain neighborhood that are uh, uh, that are connected with certain ethnicity uh, and um, basically lower income neighborhoods located at the margins. And sometimes you can see uh, at the margins, uh, of course you can recognize the, the, the poor economic condition people live in and the crowdedness uh, uh, that exists and also the uh, contest between citizens and non-citizens, especially when we speak about the process of migration that, uh, that uh, uh, um, connects people with, from different cultures, but people who share uh, um, poor conditions and fight for the, you know, um, and, and battle for the limited sources that are located at the margins of uh, the global the global cities. Um, I will speak about a, a bit about the the question of citizenship because when we think about citizenship, uh, we normally think about the nation state, but uh, like a top down process where a nation decides what are the criteria where they, they give citizenship for, uh, for the people. Uh, but uh, today it's very common to speak about citizenship as a process about how people, about issues of belonging uh, in relation, not only to the uh, nation state, but also in the city sphere. So you can speak about urban citizenship in relation, for example, to uh, undocumented uh, migrants uh, that they might, or in most cases, they won't hold like the formal Israeli citizenship or American citizens uh, citizenship, but they do uh, have some kind of belonging to the urban sphere and connection to uh, all kinds of communities they feel belong to. And, and another interesting um, concept in relation to citizenship is the concept of insurgent citizenship, where I, a concept that I will elaborate on further, uh, because it's a concept that, um, yeah, sorry, it's a concept that uh, emphasizes uh, the citizenship power against the formal criteria of the nation state. Like it's a process where discriminated citizens that actually they hold uh, the, uh, uh, the common citizen, uh, but they feel discrimination and they often fight or battle against uh, the regime that excludes them from the uh, wider uh, society. So it's often violent in a way. The, the researcher that uh, was um, developing this concept is, is James Holston and his research about is, is about um, um, is based on uh, uh, Sao Paulo, Brazil and he uh, focused on the uh, way people uh, enact certain practices that might be seen as 
as insurgent uh, to maneuver or to overcome the unequal regime that uh, pushed them to the side. So this, I think that uh, it's a really interesting contribution to the idea of citizenship, and it's also very much common to the urban sphere as well. But what I was discovering when I tried to uh, interpret my data is that this concept is um, is it's uh, concentrating on rage and um, and 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 it doesn't give enough space to vulnerability of these people because what you see on the ground without doubt is that people are angry especially when they uh, demonstrate against the uh, discriminated regimes but behind the scene what i've seen in my data about this specific neighborhood of the hatikva neighborhood of south tel aviv is there is a sense of loss there is a sense of sadness uh, uh, behind the scenes when people understood the that this specific process of global migration that I will elaborate more just a bit is highlighting their marginality. So I, you can definitely see the violent, you can see racism in their demonstration against migration, but here I want to focus about a more tangible emotion of melancholy that I will and sadness, collective, uh, collective uh, sadness that is arising when they understand uh, uh, this process is another evidence of their ongoing discrimination as lower income Mizrahi Jews that, uh, that are repressed to live at the margins of the Israeli society and, uh, uh, and, uh, and, the, and the city of Tel Aviv specifically in this case. So when I speak about, when I try to do the connection between citizenship and melancholy, it doesn't, it, it might be odd in the beginning, but I want to, to explain more about the source of, of this concept. When we speak about melancholy, we, we, we start uh, normally with Freud uh, uh, that, um, that his uh, that for him, melancholy is like an unfinished uh, uh, mourning process uh, of a lost love person or a place or a liberty or some kind of ideal that you lost. Um, what, it, what does it mean? It means that you had, without gain, <laughs> getting into all the psychological uh, concept, but just to give you an idea, it means that you invested your libido in this uh, uh, neighborhood or in this place or in this person and he's lost and you haven't really finished all the mourning process and it it's it, it, it and you stuck at a, at a point where uh, you don't invest the uh, libido in uh, something else but it's like internal process when you uh, feel depressed, you feel melancholic because you haven't really uh, 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 acknowledged the loss that you've experienced. It's an um, ambivalent emotion when you don't really uh, finish, you haven't finished the, the whole process and you have this ongoing sadness because you haven't come to terms with the loss uh, of uh, uh, this person or this idea. So, but this uh, uh, this very interesting idea of uh, uh, Freud and Kristeva afterwards, uh, uh, they mainly uh, it remains in the uh, psychological realm, and but it has all kinds of many uh, uh, um, development developments uh, of this concept in relation to the social. To the, to the social reality. Uh, here we speak about social melancholia. Uh, and um, when we speak about social melancholia, it means that there is 
some kind of a loss that a certain group within the society feel that they don't belong. It's like a loss. It can be the loss of the melting pot meat in a way that it's not just one society that we're all sharing. Uh, it can be gender melancholy in a way that uh, that uh, we are all uh, uh, it's very common to speak about uh, heteronormativity, uh, and Judith Butler spoke about how do people of, uh, how do gay people feel when they are not really represented in the wider society. There is a sense of you, know, you don't get any acknowledgement to who you are, and then uh, you, lost some, you lose something, but you don't know what you've lost because it's not accepted in the wider society in the way and there is also the concept of spatial melancholy uh, of Yaele uh, Navarro. Uh, uh, it's a uh, it's it basically speaks about uh, uh, an unfinished uh, mourning process of of your rival community uh, and um, that is invested in the space. Um, in, in my data, I speak about uh, the loss of the Palestinians that lived in uh, next to the residents of the Atikva neighborhood, and they've been lost in a way in the uh, 1948 war. They were uh, they ran away or they were expelled, and the remainings of them in the uh, specific uh, space of the Atikpa neighborhood and also in the narrative of the long-term uh, women I've met in the neighborhood. Um, uh, Yael Navarro Yashin spoke about this concept in relation to the 1974 invasion of Turkey to north of Cyprus. And so many of the Greeks uh, uh, ran away uh, 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 to the south, and there are remains over there. And she interviewed the uh, 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 the Turkish uh, Cyprus uh, that lives in in the north of Cyprus, and and the feel of loss of the um, uh, of the Greek. So, just I will elaborate just a bit more about ethnic melancholy because it's more related to. Uh, to my talk here. So just to uh, tell you again, so it's a, a sense of sadness that is aroused following the loss of the melting pot. Uh, um, for you again, it's, it's interesting because uh, many of them are, 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 are citizens uh, and they get equal rights. But at the same time, they don't feel they uh, they can uh, follow uh, uh, the mainstream culture rules in a way. So they try to imitate some kinds of white norms that they don't really accept and don't don't, don't really follow. They try to imitate, but they and uh, but their integration is very uh, is very limited. So uh, uh, this. Uh, a concept is uh, is very interesting to my case, uh, but still uh, uh, it doesn't really acknowledge the uh, melancholic emotion which is aroused uh, among these uh, citizens. So just to speak again about uh, about the um, the um, sorry can you. Just to speak again about um, your presentation just dropped. Did oh. you mean to drop it? Or said, uh, no, no, no. Just reshare it. Is the presentation on? Sorry. 
Yes, we can see it now. Okay. Um, okay, but now I can't see it. Now you can see it? Okay. Um, Uh, so the concept of a melancholic citizenship uh, is the combination of uh, the melancholic emotion and the citizenship concept. It's basically uh, uh, it's uh, uh, that uh, it describes the sense of a collective uh, melancholic emotion, which is aroused among the long-term residents uh, uh, of discriminated group when they encountered a certain process uh, that highlights their social marginality. And they, uh, in relation to, uh, to the residents of uh, the Hatikva uh, neighborhood, uh, it's the uh, process of uh, um, global migration, uh, migrants from Sudan and Eritrea, uh, uh, who uh, arrived to the neighborhood in the past decades and uh, they really they affect the sense of belonging of the veteran uh, community. Um, I just I will speak just briefly about uh, uh, the biography of the neighborhood. Uh, just a quick note about the world of biography in relation to the concept of neighborhood. I believe that the neighborhoods it's not just history; it, it is biography of a certain place. And not, not only that, I feel that uh, sometimes, uh, or in many cases, the biography of the long-term resident is emerged or connected to the biography of a place. Uh, in relation to this specific neighborhood, you can see it's very, uh, and the buildings are very old and you can see the narrow roads uh, uh, in the picture, in the right pictures, and then you can see the skyline of Tel Aviv. So you can see the differences of, of what I've speaking, what I've spoke before between the global city in Tel Aviv and the marginal uh, uh, spaces of Tel Aviv. Uh, so it was the neighborhood was established in 1935 uh, before uh, Israel was launched, and it's it and it was uh, separated as a, a separate social structure in a way that the municipality of Tel Aviv uh, hasn't uh, didn't want to include it in in the territory in its territory. Uh, um, it was home and it's still home to many of uh, Mizrahi immigrants, Jews who immigrated to Israel uh, from Arab countries in the 50s. Uh, and the situation and the current situation of the Hatikva neighborhood uh, is uh, is as follows: the original residents have left and died. Also, the second and third generation, and other groups uh, 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 became very dominant, including the 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 recent arrival of the asylum seekers from Sudan and Eritrea. Um, So the issues I examined I, uh, uh, during my research uh, is I followed the place attachment of the long-term residents of uh, the Hatikva neighborhood uh, against the urban transformation that I just uh, described. And specifically, I, uh, uh, I try to identify the emotional uh, charge uh, the long-term residents uh, had, as they spoke about this transformation, as well as their own uh, life. So we speak about few processes: the uh, uh, the uh, sh shrinkage of the veteran community, the arrival of African migrants, and uh, this. Uh, the uh, the social and the economical poor condition of uh, uh, these neighbors at the margins of um, uh, Tel Aviv. Just quick numbers, even though I'm an anthropologist, it's always important to have some data. Uh, there are about 12,000 people 
living in the neighborhood. Um, and the last time I've checked, there are about uh, 40,000 residents that live in Israel and about a third of them live in South Tel Aviv. So they are pretty much um, uh, dominant in this area. There isn't a specific data how many of them live in the Atikva neighborhood itself, uh, but many of the long-term residents do feel uh, uh, their uh, domination in their own neighborhood and, and I, I was told about, you know, when I came as anthropologist, I came to ask, you know, general questions about the Atikva neighborhood. And many of the long-term residents uh, really uh, spoke about um, uh, the asylum seekers as uh, some kind of a social problem that affects their life and uh, arousing these uh, melancholic uh, emotions. Um, so what I did in, in my research was the participant observations, uh, observation uh, between uh, 2010 and 2013. Uh, of course, in relation to the topic that I'm speaking about today, I attended meetings and the demonstration uh, regarding the African migration. Uh, and also I went to um, um, all kinds of uh, informal gatherings uh, uh, speaking about this uh, 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 this issue, um, as well as more formal uh, meetings about this topic in the Israeli Knesset, the Israeli parma, uh, Parliament. Um, Besides being uh, uh, conducting a, a particip participant observation, I also had like um, I handed like a life history group of elderly women. Uh, that I was uh, speaking with them every every week for eight months about their life history and their connection to the neighborhood and all kinds of casual and, uh, conversation and more formal uh, uh, interviews. Uh, during the research, I also I was um, I went to live next to the neighborhood. Uh, I was working in the local market. You can see a picture of the local market here. I volunteered in an in elderly day center and uh, I attended many communal events and also went to the entire season of the local soccer team, Neoda. Um, so the formal time that I did the, my research it was between 2010 and 2013, but it was um, I, I, I visit a lot of the neighborhood and I stay in touch with the residents until this present day. Uh, the arguments, the, uh, you can see the, uh, the women that I was in touch with, those, those many of the women that you can see in the pictures, in the picture, are, they were part of this uh, group that I mentioned. Between eight to 12 women ca uh, came to this group for eight months and they spoke with me about you know different aspects of their life uh, mainly their vulnerability in old age uh, as well as their you know discrimination they felt as the Mizrahi women um, they shared with me uh, their un unequal um, uh, um, relationship with their husbands many of them uh, were and child, you know, they were involved in child marriage. Uh, they were married in their early, early teens. Uh, they, um, they encountered discrimination um, through the Ashkenazi uh, elite. And uh, some also told me about uh, the kidnap of the Yemenite children affair that is a very uh, I would say a hitting problem here in Israel when they try to deal with this today about it. It's a story about uh, many children, Mizrahi children, mainly from Yemen, uh, that were kidnapped from the, their mothers. And um, 
some of the women yes, uh, told me about this, uh, that they encounter this um, terrible loss themselves or it was happening in, the, in their family. And um, up until today, where they feel fragile because when they, uh, they, they most of them live alone in their house, uh, their, their husbands died many years ago because there was a huge age gap between them and their husbands uh, because it was a match married, a marriage. And, um, and um, so they, they live alone and their children left the neighborhood and the neighborhood is transforming. So they feel this kind of loss, ongoing loss in their life in this current condition uh, in this uh, uh, neighborhood transformation. So my main uh, uh, argument is that uh, the struggle of the long-term residents arouse melancholic feelings when they realize that this global migration to their neighborhood is another evidence for, uh, uh, for their discrimination as lower-income Israelis. And you can see it goes through their life history. So it's only one extra event that is uh, highlighting their social marginality within the general uh, uh, Israeli society. So what is interesting that in the protest, of course, you can hear racism, you can see all kinds of exclusionary uh, comments, uh, but you can also, uh, and I will bring more narrative further along as I speak, uh, you can also uh, see the ambivalence of the long-term residents because they feel um, they feel some kind of um, uh, um, uh, they feel they had similar life history to the migrants. So they feel for what they went through, but on the other side, they feel that their presence of the migrants working in their neighborhood is another current of uh, 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 their discrimination. So on the one side, they might be empathic, but on the other side, they feel that they can't really hug them to their neighborhood and they can't really accept them because if they accept them, it, it is like they come to terms with their discrimination. Uh, so I will just speak. Uh, I would just give a few examples uh, to uh, what I try to uh, to argue here. Uh, so this quote it comes from a, 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 a meeting I attended uh, in the uh, which is uh, in the Israeli Knesset that was conducted in the Israeli Knesset. Uh, and that was Eli, one of the main activists of, of uh, South Tel Aviv against global migration. And you know, you can see you can see what I've uh, uh, highlighted already. I live in fear. You don't understand me. My life is terrible. How much can I suffer? What have I done to them? Don't I pay my taxes? So here you can see. Okay, he says basically, I'm. I'm, you know, an obedient citizen. Why, why don't you take care of my problem? He says, like, didn't I go to the army that is compulsory in the Israeli society? Wasn't I part of the state? So basically, it's, it's a question that he knows the answer for it because he knows it's another, it's, a, it's, a, it's an evidence of his dis discrimination as the lower income Mizrahi Jew. Um, so basically, in the end, he said, Knesset, like the Israeli parliament government help us, we are in pain. So here you can see the loss, the loss he feels when he uh, understands he's not an equal citizen. Is is a discriminated citizen, citizens, a citizen uh, which is repressed to the margins of the overall society. And the current uh, migration wave is another indication for that. And uh, more interestingly, uh, uh, it's the break of the tone that he had when he spoke about it, because I didn't follow only the words, but also I tried to hear the tone of what he said. So he had like he, he was really in pain 
when he tried to convince the parliament members about his suffering. So I can't really show this here, but uh, um, it was very apparent. He was very emotional and he was in pain uh, while he understood that this whole situation is another indication of his uh, marginality. Another example is, um, is uh, you can see me, sorry. You can see the, you can see the, um, the screen. We can see very well. Okay, thank you. Um, uh, another example for a sense of loss that the long-term residents uh, uh, felt uh, is uh, lying in the story of a, a doco movie, uh, which was uh, uh, which was shot in the neighborhood. Uh, uh, this uh, this movie. Uh, it was done but uh, by uh, the director Galia Oz, the daughter of uh, Amos Oz, and um, the residents uh, felt uh, they can trust her in a way that they took her to all the places. Uh, they spoke very frank with her, trying to explain their, uh, their sorrow and the misery following this current global migration wave, but they were very much surprised when she decided also to include narratives of migrant workers uh, in this movie and they feel and they felt betrayed. They saw her as a source of help so that somebody will show their side because there are many left wing activists and global human rights activists that um, show or uh, the side of the migrant workers and they were um, they were really uh, uh, embracing this opportunity that that their side can be heard but again this source of help uh, was discovered by them as something that is more complicated uh, when it was screened in the neighborhood. So they tried, so they were very upset, angry, and sad. So they wrote a letter, open letter to her, and they said something like, it was, it was most upsetting and immoral that you used the help that we gave you cynically, a help without which you couldn't shot the film. People opened up to you and talked about their personal pain, pain. Let the camera show the most intimate details of their life because they believed it would enable the wider public to understand the major distress. It, uh, the major, uh, major distress is, uh, the migration has created in the neighborhood. However, you betrayed the trust that was given to you, hid your opinions, and only when you finished shooting the film and didn't need the residents' help, you dare to express it. So here, another emotion of melancholic and a, a, and a feel of insecurity that the long-term long uh, residents uh, felt in a way they tried to communicate, they tried to explain their sides of the story, and then again they see, they saw a more complicated picture when it actually came and was screened in the media. Um, I just want to say that I've seen this movie and it's, I think the movie is very much balanced, but I think the, uh, the feeling of, of the betrayed is, uh, is, was arousing because they felt she will present their exclusive narrative about the, the current situation. Uh, but behind the scenes, uh, it's important to also uh, uh, reveal the ambivalence part of the residents feel towards the um, uh, towards the uh, uh, the protest against the migration. Some think that you know we should accept them. Uh, it's an older woman that I've that I've uh, spoke with that I've spoken with. 
uh, in the in the Atikva neighborhood. Um, uh, but she also says, like now I hear they want to deport them, and I I said, good Lord, what have they uh, have these children done? Because they wanted to deport at that time Sudanese children back to their nation land. Uh, but on the other hand, tomorrow they will want their own country. So here you we hear the national tone and and uh, uh, the feel. Many of the residents uh, uh, feel uh, towards the transformation of the neighborhood and uh, and the character of the Jewish state. Uh, she says, like we have only one country. They took all the jobs. I don't want to say bad things about them. It is forbidding. Uh, but really, wherever you go, they are there. So here you can see the, their presence is really uh, out there in the neighborhood. You can really discern uh, um, uh, the, uh, uh, the the migrants who live there, and uh, they many of the elderly women uh, feel to uh, go up and you know go around the streets uh, mainly at night. So she said here that uh, uh, in the elderly they, uh, they can uh, get uh, care centers. You can see them at work in healthcare clinics and in the social security offices. So they basically they are everywhere. And um, and and you know some uh, might say some residents uh, might say uh, that they don't feel belong in their own neighborhood. Yeah, in a, to a certain point. So they said they are not part of us. Yeah, so there is kind of an ideal uh, scope of the Israeli society uh, and the migrants don't belong here in her mind. I feel as if I live in a foreign city. I live in a ghetto today, me and not the migrants. So this is all my middle aged uh, woman and a resident of Atikva neighborhood. So she said, like, I have no compassion for them because I want somebody to feel sorry for me. So this is a really central point because uh, the long term residents feel uh, they are neglected in a way. Uh, they are neglected by the authorities. They are neglected by the uh, overall society. Uh, many of the Ashkenazi elite uh, support uh, they, they prefer to support uh, the migrant workers based on uh, global human rights uh, other than supporting their own people because this is the exact gap between the Ashkenazi elite and the Mizrahi Jews, especially the lower income Mizrahi Jew, Jews, uh, that they feel they are not, they feel the discrimination and this is the uh, sense of sorrow uh, when uh, that I that I try to uh, uh, to illustrate here in a way, so she said because this is a lot. If I we go back to Freud, this is a lot of a place or idea. So this is what she says here. My neighborhood is diminishing. Yeah, despite the emotional emotion she felt since the neighborhood had changed, she refuses to leave it and try to convince her friends to stay, telling them. Why should why should you live? This is your home. So this is uh, the domination of uh, the migrant workers in this specific neighborhood is an evidence of the social marginality of the Mizrahi Jews and the diminished the felt of uh, the feeling of sorry and uh, and melancholy towards their neighborhood transformation that have changed its character in the past uh, uh, decade. Um, so uh, just to conclude about the idea of a melancholic citizenship, uh, when when we hear about a, a, a process of um, of a long term residence demonstration against migrant workers, in my mind, we should just hold the critique and say those are racist because the racism does exist, but we also have to uh, use it. In my mind, we can use this concept in a way to 
experience and to follow what is happening behind the scenes that is more complicated, it's more ambivalent, and it can show, especially in processes of migration that we see in Europe and in other places of the world, the, um, the ambivalent position of discriminated groups within the, their own societies. Um, and 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 use it as like a a mirror to the social hierarchies uh, which come to the ground or, or arise when when meeting this extreme process which uh, which is uh, which is transforming their own life and their own neighborhoods so this is it for me now Thank you so much, uh, uh, Tal. This is uh, uh, fascinating, a lot of uh, food for thought. So just to remind uh, ourselves, I guess myself primarily, the Q&A uh, uh, chat is open. Please submit your questions through it. Um, and also a reminder that uh, we're recording this, so if you don't want your name to be mentioned when we read the questions, just note this. We already have two questions. Uh, Tal. So I'll, I guess I'll read them and uh, we'll go them. Uh, we'll go over them one by one. Um, the first question asks. Uh, well, first, of all, sorry if not very relevant, but was uh, the mob in Washington displaying a dramatic form of melancholia on 6 January, albeit from a national periphery? This is the question. I want to add. Maybe or you know, I, I think it's. Well, I, I think I would say what happened in uh, in in Washington was rage. And the question that immediately comes to mind is regarding what you argued, why did not uh, uh, your case translate into rage? Why was this uh, finding its way to a melancholic yeah, sadness while these guys in Washington were ranging over the way to freedom, I guess? Mm -hmm. uh, thank you. It's a great, great question. I think also uh, a rage was apparent in the, uh, long term resident demonstrations. And, you know, maybe I should have, you know, maybe presented more. But, but what was apparent to me that it wasn't a, a rage per se, in a way that the rage did exist and it, it was also violent as we've seen in Washington or in other places, but uh, my observations also revealed the, um, the melancholic emotion when I spoke about the residents, about the process which changed their lives. So you can definitely identify, I don't know if it was that extreme as, the, as we've seen in Washington, uh, I think your line dropped. I, I think Tal's line dropped all of a sudden. Let us see if he comes back. Uh, yes. Yes. Now we, you're back. Yes. Thank you. Okay. And but but still uh, uh, behind the scenes because I went to all kinds of, uh, I had all kinds of conversations with the people uh, telling me about the, uh, uh, that were more emotional, or I could experience how people had a break of a tone, or they were very emotional when they spoke about this process. So when I went to this uh, protest or this uh, 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 demonstrations of the long-term residents, it was violent and, uh, violent and there were clashes. But in another layer that I wanted to add is not just the violent aspect where you can use the concept of James Holston, insurgent citizenship, but also to add the concept that uh, that is highlighting a more tangible emotion behind the scenes. I see. Thank you. Uh, next question is from uh, Marcus, who is thanking you for uh, an excellent presentation. Uh, one question is, what has been more significant in creating the melancholy 
the arrival of large numbers of refugees or the social marginalization caused by Israeli racism and discrimination against the Mizrahi residents of the area. And a second related question, have you studied the impact on the residents when more affluent Tel Aviv citizens move into uh, the Hatikva area looking for more affordable properties uh, to buy and renew uh, uh, and renovate, I'm sorry. In other words, uh, did the uh, gentrification uh, counter the melancholia? Mm -hmm. uh, can you repeat the first, uh, first question again? Yeah. What has been more significant in creating the melancholy? The arrival of the large number of refugees or the social marginalization caused by Israeli racism against Mizrahi? Mm -hmm. um, well, it's a good question. I think this current uh, this current uh, migration wave is another indication of the ongoing discrimination many of the Mizrahi Jews, uh, Jews long-term residents of the Atikva neighborhood feel uh, 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 over the years. So I can't really rank it, but I think that, you know, when I think about, you know, elderly women uh, that went through, you know, hard work, and uh, they felt the discrimination in labor market. Uh, many, many of them encountered, you know, problematic relation with the uh, with the government. And um, you know, they are they, they lived in poverty. So today it's like you know it's like a, a complete cycle. So in their elderly, when they are coming, you know, older, they feel the um, you know, they feel more vulnerable uh, due to their age and the uh, age uh, vulnerability and health sick, health problem and sickness, loneliness, where they feel, you know, lonely at home, especially when their husband died and the children often left the nest. And, and in the neighborhood that was transformed completely in a way that they don't feel belong in a way, but I don't want to say that it's all melancholic or it's all dark because people in the Atikva neighborhood, so I, I should maybe put more emphasis on it because people in the Atikva neighborhood do feel pride in a way of being part of the neighborhood and there are all kinds of uh, 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 local arenas that the long-term residents are active in and they express their you know, unique culture and identity. Um, but there is kind of this sense uh, when they encounter this process where, you know, when, when the sun sets, they don't feel safe to leave their homes. Um, and it's not, it's not something racist against the migrants because they often used to say, we don't have something against them as people. We have something about we have to say something about this process that really changed change our life, our lives, and and our sense of security and belonging in the in 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 our neighborhood. Mm -hmm. So gentrification. About the second question, gentrification in the neighborhood. I don't know if it's a uh, very apparent today. Uh, um, maybe it will be more dominant in the recent years because now. Uh, uh, it might be more easier to build, you know, new homes and houses in the Atikva because they're only now starting to divide the land in a way because many people were were staying in the same land in the way. So now they do the parcelation process. So maybe now it will be easier to build, you know, new homes and new buildings and more young people will uh, arrive. But we have to see. But uh, now I. There are some people that live in the Atikva neighborhood, younger people, especially I think actors, because there is a really famous uh, acting uh, uh, school in the neighborhood. Um, but it wasn't very apparent in a way. It wasn't, you know, the 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 African migrants were more apparent than uh, students or you know young people coming to live beside the long-term residents. Thank you. We have a question from uh, Matteo. We're also thanking you for this insightful, nuanced presentation. 
what has been the response of the authorities so far? In particular, how do the elected representatives of this neighborhood negotiate the tensions between newcomers and more long-standing residents? Uh, um, you mean like the local local leaders or in the global or in the national local leaders? Yeah, I really uh, Okay, yeah. Um, so um, basically, the local leaders. Uh, it it also it also very much ambivalent. Some people say, okay, I remember this one time when I went to this meeting uh, in the local um, a, a local uh, a, a local meeting, and one of the leaders used to say, okay, you know, people are helping the migrants workers. Let's try to speak with them. And then many people were were rejecting this idea because they felt like it will work against them if they accept the migrants. So how how we can how we can approach the authorities and tell, okay, they they really affected our lives negatively, and um, and and you know the protest in a way was also connected to the Israeli uh, right wing. Uh, politicians because they were the ones supporting it because it was uh, it was you know promoting the agenda of a Jewish state and and you know against migrants but the residents were hesitating some used to say okay we should we should let them come to the demonstration because they are the one that helping us to promote this agenda in the Israeli Knesset but on the other side people said okay how we might be perceived in the public if people you know hear names like you know very you know extreme israel like, like ben gvir or um, other you know very um, permanent leaders from the extreme right that were coming to the demonstration so you know many people in the israeli audience general audience will immediately shut out shut the television or or stop reading about the protests so so there were they felt in a way the leaders were felt in between they tried to say okay this protest is about our own neighborhood rights and character but it couldn't really be detached from you know uh, the general agenda of the right Mm -hmm. from the one side and the left-wing activists supporting the uh, the refugees from the other side. So it was a very complicated situation that was hard for the long-term residents to maneuver in. Thank you. Uh, another question from uh, Alisa Simon. Uh, again, thank you for uh, the talk. Um, could you maybe expand on this uh, melancholic citizenship in other circumstances, like in neighborhoods that become Haredi or even high class areas and cities like San Francisco, which is dealing with high levels of homelessness? Um, can high class re high class residents experience melancholy too? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's a good question. I have to think about it. Um, I think the main idea of a melancholic emotion to, to have to lose something or to feel you don't belong in a way, if we think about these terms. But, you know, some people might live in a very um, affluent neighborhood that is that might be changing or becoming Haredi and and they might feel you know they are losing something so i think yeah if i think about it while i speak so i think definitely because they lose about their sense of identity or they lose about uh, their place attachment because it's changing that significantly uh, and it might it might be related to other awareness of inequality they might feel in their lives even though they are wealthier but even though if it, it's really uh, considered in this uh, specific idea of urban transformation, I think it might be applied also to this uh, kind of sites. In, in relation to homelessness, I didn't quite get it. Uh, can you repeat it? 
So I'll just uh, repeat the question. Um, uh, cities like San Francisco, which is dealing with high levels of homelessness, can high-class residents experience melancholy when their city is transformed into something else? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think so, yeah. Um, yeah, I think it could also apply to this kind of... Oops, you dropped. <laughs> Yeah. But of course, you have to think about it. In uh, you have to see the data and the concrete uh, uh, history of the place in order to to apply yeah. or to see how to use this uh, concept uh, correctly. But yeah. uh, overall, you have to think about this place where, uh, you, uh, in relation to to loss or or. or uh, a sense of inequality in a way. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Tal. I think these are all the questions that were uh, posted, and so maybe I'll take the prerogative of asking, uh, you know, the last question before we conclude, and thank you. Um, I find a very interesting tension or oscillation, not, even, not necessarily tension, between three levels of, uh, um, three levels of this phenomena. One is, it's a very universal phenomenon. We can just approach this as yet another case of uh, marginalized people having to deal with the fact that this is where uh, migrants end up in. So in this case, Hatikva is just one case of the this, of the global phenomena. Uh, midway between there's this national issue, which we mentioned, the, the, the tension between uh, uh, residents, and uh, newcomers under the umbrella of a nationalizing narrative that uh, paints it differently. And then there's the very specific nature of uh, Hatikva. Uh, I guess you know one could immediately ask this, uh, ask you to compare it to other neighborhoods in Tel Aviv which have experienced uh, uh, large waves of migration, such as the all the bus station neighborhood and similar. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I, the bus station neighborhood does not have a, a, a local patriotic sense like uh, Hatikva has. It doesn't have a football team, for example, right? As far as I know, not now at least. So, so my question is: To what degree does uh, do this? Does the tension or the, the oscillation between these levels? To what degree can it explain the fact that this has not materialized? This does not materialize into violent rage. But rather is you call it melancholia. I feel depressed, right? I don't want I don't want to to, to pretend to know anything about uh, the distinction between uh, you know uh, psychological uh, <laughs> uh, categories. But it's very depressing, and you can you can see how depression would translate into rage. I think this is what happens in now in Washington, if I understand correctly. Uh, not only this, um, and I'm wondering, maybe is it really the case that they are afraid to hurt the state's interest, for example, that makes them just, you know, uh, become subdued? Mm. So, uh, have you finished your question? Yes, <laughs> that's a long question. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, you know. It's really interesting point because those Mizrahi Jews are very proud Zionists, and they they are most I mean most of them you know uh, vote for their rights and uh, 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 for their right for their you know right side in the Israeli political map and. Um, and they feel betrayed in a way, and I, I, I don't know if you can, you can, you can, you can really, uh, I can't really know what comes before what, because I feel that the sense of rage and the sense of melancholic they coexist in a way in the protest of the long-term residents. And, and I also want to say that it's not something that is ongoing. You know, there are certain events, there are certain points in their biographies that those emotions arise. But it's 
not something that you know it's most people i i'm not a i'm not a, a psychologist and i don't you know try to say they are depressed but i feel there is a collective sense of loss which is immersed in this current situation highlighting their social uh, uh, marginality and i think you are you are you're uh, right you know that you can you can you can you can find fellas in europe uh, in the uk uh, i don't know like and in and in the us uh, but specifically in Israel, I think it's the story of the Zionist Mizrahi Jews that uh, that that are really, you know, they are, they are Judaism is very important in their life. They are proud citizens, but they see that they are being repressed to the margins of the overall society. Of course, we can we can we can discern you know, upper middle Mizrahi class today, but my work concentrate, concentrated on the people that were left behind, especially the vulnerable people. So in the Atikva neighborhood, I think the second generation were more active or more rage. And, you know, the older people, they were more vulnerable and melancholic in a way, and they embodied the three dimension of melancholy of ethnic, spatial and and gender melancholy that I uh, mentioned beforehand. Uh, can I hear you? Tal, thank you so much for this fascinating talk and for the uh, encouraging encouragement to further think this. Um, and also for being an opener for this uh, uh, term, uh, terms series. Uh, I want to mention that next week's uh, uh, slot of the seminar is reserved for the Reconsidering Early, Nash, Early Jewish Nationalist Ideologies seminar, where Adam uh, Sutcliffe of uh, KCL will uh, um, talk about, um, well, what are Jews for his book, uh, and specifically the idea of uh, Jewish purpose and the emergence of Zionism. Uh, so uh, thank you all, and I uh, hope to see you next week.